It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. We can see that illuminated sign that marks the end of the journey. This vaccine will help us get past this pandemic once and for all. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people going, oh, I'm not so sure. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing. And I'm Caroline Hepke. Very good afternoon. Well, it's Earth Day today and the US President Joe Biden is launching a two-day global climate summit later. There, he's expected to pledge to halve US greenhouse gas emissions from 2005 levels by the end of the decade. Of course, it comes as the UK is preparing to host COP26, the UN Climate Summit in Glasgow, later this year. And this week, the government here has promised to further raise its targets for reaching carbon neutrality. There's also a push to link the finance industry to green goals. Business Secretary Kwasi Kwarteng spoke to Bloomberg and said it was a challenging target. It's a 78% uh, reduction from 1990, which is the base uh, year. And I think people should realise that as of today, 2021, we've actually reduced uh, carbon emissions in the UK by 45% nearly, nearly 45% from 1990. And that's why it's that progress that's allowed us to have a an ambitious target of 78% reduction by 2035. So the, the, the 78% figure wasn't just plucked out of thin air. Yeah. It relates to a lot of the work that we've already done uh, in this uh, vitally important area of decarbonisation. That was the UK Business Secretary Kwasi Kwarteng speaking to Bloomberg. Well, the climate issue is new territory for some politicians, but not, of course, for the Green Party. Their co-leader and candidate for London Mayor Sean Berry joins us now. She's the latest in our series of interviews with candidates for the London mayoral election. If you want to get the full list of candidates, of course, you can go to the website londonelects.org.uk. Find them all listed there. But Sean, welcome to the programme and thanks for being with us. Now, we've heard a lot about what politicians on the national international stage as well want to do about climate change but what difference could you make to all this as mayor of london as greens we we bring the action to back up these targets it's all very well shouting out a new number every few years we've had this from the conservatives for a while now but the fact is they are failing with their action to meet the targets that we already have under the Climate Change Act. So there needs to be a complete transformation in what they are actually doing on the ground. They've cancelled recently the the Green Homes Grant for for householders to make their homes um, more energy efficient. Now, that's that's another failed scheme. There's been a series of these. 
to helping people to fix their homes. We need genuine investment in this. When I was standing um, for the general election, we were putting forward £100 billion a year for our Green New Deal. When you look at what the uh, current government are doing, it's it's won tens of, tens of billions most in total over several years. This is nowhere near what we need to do. Only Greens really bring the action. And if you want Green in this election, you should vote for a Green mayor first. Okay, um, I think one thing that got a lot of Londoners' attention was the death of Ella Kissy Deborah, nine-year-old girl whose death from asthma in London was linked by the coroner to air quality here. Uh, so a question on that, what can a London mayor really do about that? Because surely that sort of issue needs central government action. Not at all, no. Um, and I really feel for the, the absolute determination that Ella's mother, Rosamond, has put into this campaign to get this new inquest and to get as far as getting these recommendations off the coroner. They are absolutely right. And the Mayor of London does have significant powers over transport. In my platform, I've set a target to reach zero emissions in London, zero carbon for transport in London by 2030. And I want to get the air clean within legal limits within much shorter time than that. We need to have an ultra-low emission zone that covers all of London. I can't understand why the current mayor has chosen only to take that to the north and south circular. Ella lived within reach of the south circular road. This won't be included in the current mayor's low emission zone. These halfway houses, these minimised, like minimal actions from the three other parties need to stop. We need someone who's got the right ambition well, and is prepared to use the powers that we have. What about banning cars from most of central London? We need to work in a way that, that makes sense for people and enables people to get around. And, and the right answer is not to wait until 2030 to do a ban on cars. You have to be developing alternatives for people so that people have the choices, so that they're choosing to get out of their cars. We need to have more traffic-free Streets, but we also need an overall traffic reduction target, which is what I would set. And I'd bring in smarter and fairer ways of charging mm. for using the roads. At the moment, most of Transport for London's finances depend on people paying public transport fares. We've seen the lack of resilience there was in that approach during the, the lockdown. And we actually need something that charges fairly for driving and creates genuine incentives for people and raises money to invest in the alternatives for people. It's no good yeah. just telling people to get out of their cars without giving them the other options. And I want to reduce fares, improve um, public transport in outer London and it yeah. triple the cycling budget. OK, triple the cycling budget. All right, so that um, on transport and on green issues. But there are plenty of things that on the surface um, don't seem to have an easy sort of position for you as, as a Green Party candidate. Um, and we've asked other candidates about this too. What about, for example, violence against women, the debate over policing? You've promised to have no murders in London within a decade. How is that possible? My target to set to reach zero murders in London uh, within 10 years is, is incredibly important in changing our perspective on this. For too long, we've tried to enforce our way out of 
violence and that actually doesn't work once you've got that perspective of trying to reach zero you realize just how much you need to invest more in preventive services and unfortunately under austerity for more than a decade now those preventive services provided by local councils um, have been cut back so obviously we're leaving people more vulnerable unable to get help when things start to go wrong, unable to, to provide people with positive alternatives and, and unable to help women, for example, to escape uh, a violent home and get new housing. All these things are linked together and that's the perspective you gain once you're really aiming to prevent violence from the start. But, but Sharon, it's an aim, but it sounds hopelessly unrealistic. I mean, we, we simply know that humankind, I'm afraid, does tend occasionally to use extreme violence against each other, almost whatever the circumstances. Doesn't it just sound ridiculous almost to say, there will be no murders, I can make that happen? What, what target would you set, well, if, though? Well, that has to be the goal. You have to be measuring your progress against that, not being pleased with yourself when the number of murders goes down from, say, 150 to 125. You've got to recognise that every single one of those murders could have been prevented. When there's a, when there's a domestic homicide, there are investigations. People look at how support services might have failed, what, what interventions could have been made. We need to do that for, for all murders in London. There's, there's no reason to accept anything more than zero. I absolutely believe in this. And it comes alongside with having a big conversation about how we do policing in this country. We need to make sure that the police are working in local areas in a more preventive role, not simply giving them more and more powers over people. That, in the end, is counterproductive, and we've seen that with Stop and Search. Okay. Violence and policing. What about one of the other major issues, housing in the capital? You're campaigning on rent controls to prevent sky-high rents in the city. You, yourself, uh, renting your sixth flat, as far as I know, since uh, you moved to London 25 years ago. But actually, as mayor, you don't have the power, really, to impose rent controls. And even in other cities where it's tried to be done sort of more aggressively, like uh, in Germany, those rules have been kind of knocked back. Very, very difficult to control rents. We, we need to get the powers to, to try this in London. It's really important. In, in Berlin, rents are now lower. They're much more affordable for people. People renting now have much better security there. And these are the rights that I think everyone in London should have. Other Previous mayors have been neglectful of this. It took me three years to get the current mayor even talking about rent controls. I'm really pleased he is now, but he hasn't spent the time getting the evidence together, working with mayors from other cities who have this problem in the UK and working to persuade government to give us the powers to at least try something like this. And meanwhile, the government's put off improving renters' rights in other ways. You can still be evicted by your landlord for, for no reason at all. And that power should have been changed long ago. It's the two years since the government promised to do it. But the Renters' Reform Bill is now back in limbo again. Sure. You need someone as a mayor who's genuinely going to campaign on behalf of what is the most common tenure now in London, which is private renting. It needs to be a secure and affordable way to live, not at the moment, just at the mercy of the market. Sure. Sean, let me ask you then, finally, I mean, obviously a thing of interest uh, to Bloomberg listeners, perhaps in particular, the financial services industry, a big part of the economy of London. There's some issues post-Brexit with uh, some jobs moving away. What would you do? How could you uh, help attract more of that sort of business that is a very important part of the economy into the capital? 
I think I think one of the things I want to do is make sure that we are a centre of innovation, so that there's a, there's a pull factor, so that more people will will try to overcome, quite honestly, what are huge barriers now um, that have been thrown up by Brexit. But but Greens, we do continue to believe that the UK should be in the European Union. We know the divorce has happened. It'll be a long road back, but it is urgent to rethink some aspects of how we left and i think the customs union is one of those and the rules around freedom of movement the 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 fact that you have to reach a certain income threshold to come to the uk now is is a big drag on business and and these things do need to be changed they do need to be renegotiated a green a green mayor would be calling for this speaking up on behalf of london businesses who need to have more more ability to trade with europe and more ability to bring people and hire people from europe and then operate cross border at the moment there's there's so much friction there's so many wrinkles it's just too tough Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for the Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. Let's talk about the other stories that are in the news uh, today, starting, I think, with travel COVID passports, Caroline. What's going on with them? Yes, hasn't there been such a big debate about whether to use them or not and in which circumstances? Well, apparently, we are going to use a COVID passport. It'll be made available as early as next month, and it will allow people to prove that they've been vaccinated in time for the summer holidays. This, according to the Telegraph newspaper. So the Department for Transport wants an official certification scheme that gives British travellers a document that they can show by the 17th of May. The Telegraph says... That the travel industry has been briefed on the plans. But MPs say the industry needs to know this week which foreign trips can resume. Parliament's Transport Committee also wants to see compulsory Covid tests made more affordable and border queues shortened. But Boris Johnson's insisted any guidance this week would be premature. We're really going to need to wait till uh, early May before we can set out which countries are on uh, on the list. And you can see the some of the troubles and uh, some of the problems in uh, uh, that some of our friends are, are currently uh, having. So the Prime Minister there trying to uh, loosen the travel restrictions with uh, COVID passports. Let's move on to talk about another issue for the Prime Minister. Labour wants a group of MPs, powerful MPs committee, to start an urgent investigation into Boris Johnson's conduct, his relationship with big business. It emerged that the Prime Minister exchanged texts with the billionaire James Dyson over the tax status of his employees. Of course, both men have insisted that they've done nothing wrong. The Prime Minister says that he was trying to secure ventilators during the coronavirus pandemic, but Labour has said that the text messages are part of a pattern of government sleaze. Yes, a very interesting thing I saw this morning suggesting the word sleaze cuts through in a way that the word Mm. corruption doesn't when it comes to uh, reaching through to public opinion. Maybe that is why Labour is continuing to use it, and as echoes, of course, of what happened in the 1990s uh, with the Conservative government of John Major. Anyway, let's talk about Scottish independence, because support for that, it appears, has fallen to its lowest level in more than a year. A new YouGov poll suggests that's what's happening, and it comes just two weeks before elections to the Holyrood Parliament, 
with the survey showing 47% of Scots would vote for independence when undecided voters are excluded. Now, that's down two percentage points on their previous survey in early March and the lowest level of support for leaving the UK since December 2019. The survey also shows the SNP could win a majority of two seats in this election. That's according to analysis by John Curtis, who's Professor of Politics at the University of Strathclyde. Mm, So passing the popularity of Scottish independence. Well, the Bank of England is set to open a new northern hub, we learn, in Leeds. It's part of the central bank's effort to boost its presence around the UK. Apparently, the the hub will be set up in an existing cash distribution centre that is due to close in 2023. The bank says that it's also launching a review into its geographical footprint, which would take into account its experience of remote working during the pandemic and therefore opportunities opportunities for more flexibility. And it's not just Leeds. Manchester's winning both public and private companies to the city, as Manchester Mayor Andy Burnham has been perhaps the most visible mayor, Caroline, during this pandemic, pushing that city forward. Yes, joining us now is Subha Krishnan Harihara, who is Head of Research at the Greater Manchester Chamber of Commerce. Welcome to the programme, Subra. There have been a number of stories, actually, in in the last couple of days about the Department of Transport um, opening a couple of new hubs in the coming years uh, in uh, in Leeds and and other parts uh, outside of London. Why do you think that business and government is moving out of the capital and, more importantly, moving into Manchester? Uh, I think so far as Manchester is concerned, Caroline, the number one reason seems to be the available talent uh, here. You know, within a very small um, uh, radius, we have four universities uh, collectively uh, producing more than 100,000 uh, you know, highly skilled graduates every year. So many businesses like that access uh, to uh, talent. Um, so that's a very important attraction for Manchester. And of course, the second reason uh, for uh, the attraction of some cities outside of London is that rent prices are lower here. Um, you know, salaries are slightly lower than what they are in London. And, of course, transport times, commute times are a lot better uh, in, in uh, Manchester and Leeds uh, compared to London. So there are many attractions uh, for businesses to relocate to Manchester. But, but Subra, one of the issues you mentioned, communications there, transport, of course, that has in the past been a reason, at least for some businesses, to think twice about uh, relocating to, to regional centres like Manchester. Uh, what about you know high-speed rail? Is that something you're going to rely on when it comes to the future in terms of, of sorting that problem out? Absolutely. I mean, we have always been supportive of uh, HS2. We are equally supportive of HS3, otherwise called Northern Powerhouse Rail, which is the east-west line. And I think those type of transport links are extremely important, uh, not just to attract businesses and also you know, various government departments which are uh, trying to relocate outside of uh, London, but perhaps to connect the various cities in the north uh, together and to create a, a giant labor market uh, where uh, talent and mobility is, uh, is very fluid. Uh, and, you know, that will help in rebalancing the UK economy in the long term. Yeah, indeed, rebalancing. I mean, Manchester, though, has been through um, a period of very severe lockdowns, um, perhaps even more than in other parts of the country. It's been a tough year. How do you see the prospects for recovery now as as the UK vaccination programme has been very positive? Uh, indeed, and uh, the vaccination rates in Greater Manchester are, uh, are a cause for encouragement and optimism. Um, it is true, uh, Greater Manchester has probably had the longest period of restrictions, and many people don't realise this, but 
that we have had restrictions in Manchester from July last year until about the 1st of April of uh, this year. It has been a very long and difficult uh, time for many businesses, especially those who are in uh, hospitality, non-essential retail. Having said that, a combination of factors, the success of the vaccination rollout, uh, the continuation of COVID-related support measures into September has given rise to some optimism. And, you know, in the quarterly economic survey that Greater Manchester Chamber has done in, um, in the first quarter of this year shows that business optimism is uh, going up. Business confidence has uh, actually gone up. So I think many businesses are uh, looking forward uh, to the reopening of the economy. They are also looking forward uh, to getting back uh, to a new normal. Now, we don't know what that new normal is going to be looking like, uh, but I think the uh, take-up of um, orders, uh, improved customer demand, uh, these are very clearly visible now uh, amongst our members in Manchester. Well, Super, I mean, we're talking in general terms here, but what about some specifics? And we know, for example, that uh, part of the Bank of England is going to Leeds. We know that Goldman Sachs is partly moving to Birmingham. What have you got coming up? I mean, can you tell us the kind of big names in government or, or companies that, that are thinking of coming to this place that, 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 that you say has such potential? Uh, we have had a few, uh, haven't we? Uh, so GCHQ chose uh, Manchester uh, as uh, their northern base. Uh, we had Jaguar Land Rover uh, setting up their uh, technical uh, research and development centre uh, here in uh, Manchester. Um, and Booking.com uh, chose Manchester as their single most important destination outside of Amsterdam, which is their global headquarters. Uh, and so we have had you know, several big uh, names here. The Hut Group, uh, another e-commerce giant, the true Manchester success story, uh, has had tremendous success, especially with their IPO, etc. last year. So I think there are numerous uh, names, both uh, public and private, which are choosing Manchester for the various reasons that we discussed before. How much is Brexit hurting business um, in Manchester? We've been keeping a close eye. I mean, we're you know three, four months into Brexit now, and some of the consequences are emerging from the fog of the pandemic. Brexit is an extremely important pain point uh, for our members. You know, in the latest survey, we found out that four out of five businesses, four out of five businesses are still having severe difficulties moving goods across the border. Three out of five businesses are having more difficulties uh, trading in uh, services. And many businesses have told us that even, uh, you know, those who we didn't think would be affected have now been affected because their European customers are saying it is actually extremely difficult. Um, there are additional costs. There are serious uh, delays. And they are looking elsewhere. Um, so Brexit is going to have an extremely bad and adverse impact on businesses across the country, uh, not least in Manchester. So, Subra, I mean, what would you like to see? What could help with this process, both from central government, but also uh, from, from regional government, from, from the mayor, for example? What would help in improving the situation for Manchester, making it even more attractive, getting even more business in there? Uh, I think so far as Manchester is concerned, number one, I think, is uh, the uh, the talent uh, pipeline. Um, so there, you know, even now we have some situations where uh, talent uh, chooses to relocate to, say, London, you know, to, trying to um, take advantage of higher salaries, et cetera, down south. Um, but with more and more investment, uh, I think um, with the uh, public-private uh, uh, cooperation and coordination, I think that can uh, definitely be reversed. But the second thing, I think this is extremely important, it comes down to infrastructure. Both physical infrastructure, the hard infrastructure in terms of better roads, rails, uh, but also digital infrastructure. And sadly, in parts of Greater Manchester, broadband access is still way behind where it should be. 
and the broadband system has been put to the test, hasn't it, during the last uh, 12 months. Uh, and it is barely coping. Many people are working from home. Um, so the home a part of uh, broadband infrastructure needs to improve. For working from home, the one thing that broadband companies need to realize and public policymakers need to realize is that it needs to be more akin to what businesses have access to at reasonable price points, but the quality of upload speeds, etc., needs to significantly improve if we are going to sustain and develop Manchester and other regions in the north uh, for, for the future. And I think it comes down to infrastructure. If the infrastructure improves, we can attract talent and we can attract talent to stay behind in these cities. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.